0: So in the Easter season, we have the um, beautiful privilege of hearing uh, our Sunday Gospels are the, the resurrection accounts, the encounters that the disciples had with the risen Jesus between when he rose from the dead and when he ascended into heaven. So there's 40 days, sometimes it's called the Gospel of the 40 Days, when Jesus appeared to his disciples whom he had been with in his three years of public ministry in his earthly life prior to his death. He encounters them in these remarkable ways, and the, and the four Gospels all uh, detail different encounters that people have with Jesus after he's risen from the dead, and they're all remarkable and, and kind of strange. Um, unlike the, the accounts of his life and the things he said and his preaching and even his death, his crucifixion, the accounts are pretty similar, and they're kind of logical, even though the miracles and such, they're, they're, they're remarkable. But after the resurrection... Jesus is like going into locked rooms and appearing to many people at the same time. And um, In Luke's account of the road to Emmaus, the two disciples don't recognize him as he's talking to them for hours. And then he breaks bread, uh, symbolic of the Eucharist, and he, they recognize him, and then he immediately disappears. It's like very strange and mystical sort of encounters that people are having with Jesus. But they all uh, report that he's real. He's alive. I've seen him eat fish and bread and walk around and i heard his voice i recognized it's him this one who was crucified and was dead is now alive and of course we encounter jesus too but in a different way after the ascension and then the sending of the holy spirit on pentecost which this season of easter is 40 days till ascension and then another 10 days to the 50th day pentecost which is from the uh, word 50 uh, that's when the holy spirit comes on the church and um, enlivens the apostles and gives us the grace of the sacraments, etc. And so we encounter Jesus in a different way than they did in the gospel of the 40 days. For us, it's an interior reality. Those of us who have encountered Jesus Christ risen from the dead, no, it's not like we're on the shore of the sea and we see him and he says, you know, throw your nets off to the side of the boat and then we see this miraculous catch of fish and we jump in the water and swim to him and have breakfast. Like, that happened to Peter and the apostles, but for us... um, it's often much more serene and hidden, but therefore more intimate and more personal, not less real, in fact, more real. Like the way we can encounter Christ is even more intimate than Peter and John and Mary Magdalene and the rest of the, the ones who saw him in his resurrected body prior to the ascension. But these encounters, there's a reason the church gives them to us because they're instructive about how that hidden reality, that inner interior encounter with Jesus happens, how we can recognize it. For instance, um, they often didn't recognize that it was Jesus at first. These are people that knew him for years, knew his voice, knew his face, knew his walk. They could tell it was him, but there's something that clouds their vision. They can't see that it's Jesus. Um, Mary Magdalene, she's crying at the tomb. And it's not until he says, Mary, that she realizes it's not the gardener, it's not some random dude, this is Jesus, he's, he's here right in front of me. Um, or even when he comes into the, the upper room uh, that's locked, because the apostles are afraid that they're going to suffer the same fate as Jesus, even after they've heard that the tomb is empty, Jesus comes into the room and says, peace be with you, and shows them his nail marks in his hands and in his side to prove that it's him, because they, like, they're so confused. It's like, is that Jesus or is that a ghost? So he has this way of proving that it's him, risen from the dead. And then today in our gospel, when Peter and the, the other apostles go fishing, because they're just like, what are we supposed to do now? <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever, you could sympathize with that. You're like, you've had an experience of Christ, but then you're like, not sure what that means and what I'm supposed to do. So he goes, I'm going fishing. And they're like, we're going to go with you. And uh, they spend all night on the water, catch nothing. And then as the sun is coming up, they see on the shore this man and he says, have you caught anything to eat, children? That should have tipped them off, right? That he called them children. Uh, and they're like, no, nothing. And he said, cast it off to the side, the other side. It's just like the miracle he did when he first called Peter and Andrew and James and John, the fishermen. Um, cast it off to the, so- the other side. And they just do it. And immediately they get this gigantic catch of fish. And John says to Peter, it's the Lord. They recognize him. At first they didn't. But this happens to us, doesn't it? When we sit down to pray and we're, we're listening for Jesus, we want to encounter him, uh, it's not immediately obvious he's there or if he's talking to us that it's actually him. St. Ignatius of Loyola recommends that before you sit down to pray, even if you're going to pray a Hail Mary or just you know, sit in your chair um, before you, you head off to work or to school to make a morning offering, to not immediately start talking to God but to take a moment to reflect on God looking at you. Look at him looking at you, he says. To just realize that he's present you know because a lot of times when we pray it's like we just open a door to a dark room and start shouting things into it not really sure that God is actually there but that's what what is so key in these resurrection accounts is that they have to like allow Jesus to reveal himself to them and that takes patience and there's no magic trick even if you do what Saint Ignatius says it's not like I can control Jesus it's like a a life hack to get him to be present to me it's still on his terms, I, I, but I have to trust that he, he is pursuing me, that he actually wants to reveal himself as he does to the, the apostles. The second thing that we notice about these encounters is that Jesus is, is always so tender. His first words are often, peace be with you, peace be with you, or calling people children. You know, he, he, he speaks to them very gently, but also very boldly. You know, when, when he talks to Mary, he says, Mary talking to Mary Magdalene. And immediately she, she clings on to him. He says, don't cling to me. Go to my brothers and tell them to go to Galilee. He says, I have not yet ascended to my father. And so he, he's not, um, he's not like weak. He is strong and firm, but he's gentle and tender in the way that he talks to them. He never makes small talk after the resurrection. I don't know if he ever did in his earthly life, but certainly in these resurrection accounts, Like when he sits down with Peter after breakfast around that fire. And that charcoal fire is such an important detail in John because it was around the charcoal fire during the the trial of Jesus that Peter denied him three times. He was warming his hands, John says, by a charcoal fire. And here Jesus is around the charcoal fire. He's just cooked the fish on and eaten breakfast. And he says to Peter, three times, do you love me? And Peter knows what he's doing. It's going straight to his heart. There's no... Like, so Peter, how's it been going? Ah, fine. It's all right. You know, fishing wasn't great. Um, There's no small talk. There's no inauthenticity. There's no sense of like trying to feel each other out. Jesus goes right to the heart. But he does so in a way that is very careful with Peter's heart. He doesn't just go in there like a bull in a china shop and start making acute accusations or making Peter feel ashamed of himself. But he goes right to the place of his deepest shame, his deepest vulnerability, and he restores him there. He shows him that actually you're strong. Actually, you do love me. You fell because you walked away from me, because you thought you could do it on your own, but I have greatness in store for you. Jesus sees what he has in store for Peter, and Peter can't see it yet, but Jesus speaks to him gently and boldly. He's also, Jesus never wastes time. If you've ever sat in a holy hour and you feel like you're just like wasting time, like you're just thinking about stuff and uh, figuring out what you're going to make for dinner tonight or whatever, um, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't waste time. He doesn't make this small talk, um, but he's not in a hurry either. There's no frenzied pace to Jesus. Like, I got to talk to John, then I got to talk to Andrew, and then I got to talk to Thomas. He's, he's very serene. He says, come and have breakfast. <laughs> That's like a great thing. Jesus says after his resurrection, let's take some time to eat together. Um, and so it's the same thing when we encounter Christ. If we have this sense of a restlessness or a or I'm in a hurry or something like, I'm not, I'm not doing this well enough or fast enough. Jesus is patient with us. He's patient with the apostles, um, and he's patient with us. And lastly, the encounters with Jesus are always hopeful. They always leave uh, the one who encounters Jesus with a renewed hope and joy at the resurrection. Even if they're confused, like the women at the tomb, when they see uh, the tomb empty and the angels announce that he's risen, and even after Mary Magdalene sees Jesus in the face to face in the flesh, there's there's a confusion. Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we supposed to do about this? But there is a hope and a joy, and a sense that um, the future is going to be better than the past. Uh, it's kind of like the uh, the wedding feast at Cana. Um, it's a subtle comparison, but it's also in John's Gospel where the the head waiter says most people save the, the uh, bad or the, the use the good wine first and. Uh, serve the bad wine last, because after people have drunk, they don't notice the difference. But you have saved the good wine till the end. And there's, some, there's a dynamic there that's, that's, I think, just true in life, that as we're growing in intimacy with this Jesus, um, it gets better with time, that even as we um, suffer and, and um, are disappointed sometimes by life and the inevitable um, anxieties and worries and, and sufferings that we endure, um, because Jesus is there, and he's always in the here and now, there's always hope, and it's always getting better. It's like the good wine is still waiting for us at the end. You know? And finally, when we are risen from the dead and live with God in heaven forever, that's when we'll finally taste that wine in the kingdom with Jesus. But when you have an encounter in the here and now, it's, it's not like, oh, you've got to wait till the future to, to, to have your cake. Um, it's here and now you, you have a foretaste, a sense that there is this hope and hope, um, this joy here present to me now. There's a rule in the spiritual life that the devil takes possession of the past and of the future, meaning that if we sit down to pray and all we're thinking about is the past and like either, oh, it used to be so good in the past and it's so bad now, or man, I really messed up in the past, so I must not be any good now. That's not Jesus. He doesn't talk to you like that, nor is it, oh my gosh, I've got so much to worry about in the future. What if I don't do this? Or what if I don't do that? Or what if this happens? And The devil promises some kind of like horrible catastrophe in the future. Jesus never talks to us like that. Or says, you're never going to make it. You don't have what it takes. The future is just grim. It's the evil one, the discourager, the liar. Jesus speaks to us in the here and now, in the present moment. And that's what gives us hope, is that we can encounter him now. That's what it means, that he's risen from the dead. There's another rule in in the spiritual life, that there's no neutral zone. Like, I'm doing okay I don't really need to go any deeper with Jesus, um, but I'm not doing so bad either. I'm not falling away or anything. Jesus always comes and speaks right to the heart, just as to the Samaritan woman, just as into the, the woman caught in adultery, just as he does to Peter after the resurrection and his, his denial. Um, he wants to go to this place in our heart where we need deeper communion. There's no neutral zone where Jesus says, yeah, you're good enough, you're done. He's always going deeper, and the good news is he's always working to bring that deeper communion about. It's not on us to figure it out or to try harder. It's Jesus who is doing this work. Um, you know, we're we're going to do a blessing at the end of Mass here for the graduates. This is your last Mass uh, as a, maybe a student here at UIC. If you're done with finals next week and you go home, um, hopefully you'll come back and see us. Uh, but this, I think, I hope you, you leave with this knowledge and this certainty and this confidence that Jesus is with you here and now and he will be with you then and there wherever you go so long as you live in this moment and allow yourself to be found and to, to recognize his voice um, I had this thought as I was praying this morning uh, oftentimes we think about like commencements uh, and, and graduations you hear this from commencement speakers like go and change the world go and make the world a better place that's awesome. And go do it if you have to. <laughs> but I'm, I'm almost guaranteeing you that when you die, the world is going to be just as much of a mess. It's going to have just as many problems. And it's not on you to fix it. Right? The Lord is its Savior, the world's Savior. God so loved the world that he sent his only Son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Right here and right now. That's the good news. That's what Jesus was revealing to his friends after he rose from the dead. It's that you're weak, you messed up, you often get discouraged, but I'm here, I'm alive, I love you, and I know your hearts. He takes our desires, what we're feeling, very seriously. He's careful with our hearts, but he's bold and going right to the root of the thing. And so allow him to speak to you. Here in this Mass, when you pray, and when you go out into the world, that knowledge, that is what saves And that will change the world. That will bear fruit in the kingdom if you allow him to work this in your heart.